Welcome to the County Business Talks podcast, powered by Picture Book Films. Here, we're going to be talking to entrepreneurs and business owners from across Sussex, delving into the mindsets of what makes them really tick, discussing their business journeys, the ups, the downs, failures, successes, just having an open, honest discussion that hopefully can inspire people looking to start on that journey. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoy the next episode. So today I'm joined by an award-winning entrepreneur. She worked in the creative industry with the likes of Alexandra McQueen, a buyer for Laura Ashley and Warehouse, managing large teams and £40 million budgets. Her company, Free Blonde Bears, that she founded in 2007, won numerous awards, and after winning the Make Awards in 2012 and being selected by Lord Young and Sir Terry Healy to be a founding member of Enterprise 250, and in 2013 saw Joe being recognised as one of the most creative founders in the UK. Now a full-time artist, she has been on the Landscape Artist TV show and had various commissions with a range of creatives and companies on various projects, from original artworks to, for feature films, landmark buildings for corporations, single covers for musicians to illustrations for magazines. I'm delighted to welcome a good friend of mine, Joe Miles. How are you, Joe? Welcome oh. to the podcast. Oh, thanks, Sam. That's such a lovely thing for you to say about me. It's when you hear it back like that, you're like, oh, I've actually done some things. Yeah. <laughs> you have, uh, as, as, uh, for a long time, been a true inspiration for, for me, and I'm, I'm just I, I'm delighted to have you on. Um, look, we're going to delve straight in. Yeah. Um, just start by telling the listeners a little bit about your business journey and yourself. Sure. So I guess my business journey started. So when I'm, when I'm considering my business journey, I'm talking about my what I've been doing and yeah. running on my own. So um, I guess I first went self-employed back in 2006. I'd been working in the sort of creative industries for such some time. So at Alexander McQueen, I was very much directly working with Lee mm. um, and creating anything that you saw on the catwalk that was completely bonkers, made out of razors, shells, dog hair, you know, anything like that. That was my job to coordinate it. So it was super creative. But I left that kind of part of that industry because I wanted to be more businessy. I've always had this element of wanting to know how things tick. It's been with me since I've been a child, I think. And I think a lot of that's to do with being brought up with self-employed parents. So I went from there into buying, fashion buying, but again, did that for several years, but it wasn't creative enough. Yeah. And that's where I really, sort of back in 2006, where I started to start, that was the first point where I started to put feelers out of how to be self-employed and how to take my creativity and business acumen into the business world and, and that's where it really started for me so initially it was doing some consultancy work on a buying level and then founding um, Three Blonde Bears um, and that really was the start of this big sort of journey uh, you know roller coaster I would say of, um, of learning how to survive and adapt in a business environment. Amazing so, so you're saying so you, both your parents were self-employed yeah so you think that that like you were sort of always from a young age, like you said, always had maybe an entrepreneurial right, or inquisitive mind about how that would work and, and that you want to do your own. Yeah, definitely. I, I think, you know, like really initially when you're younger, you kind of rebel about, against what your parents do. So yeah. I was like, oh, I'm not going to do that because, you know, I was exposed to, I mean, they run um, a multi million pound steel business. So they, you know, and they lost that business. It went, you know, into liquidation and they started up other companies. So I saw that as a kid growing up from the from birth, yeah. I was on this roller coaster with them. So very comfortable and um, and the exposure that I had with them was really good for my social skills. So I was, you know, they were always having dinner parties, taking us out to events and stuff. So I was really well exposed and sort of, you know, well practiced on that side of things. But actually, I think you kind of rebel against that. And I was going to be a career girl and I was going to be recognised and people who were going to, you know, it's going to be yeah. a different thing for me, but actually just quite soon realised that I am completely unemployable <laughs> and very happy to be yeah, so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that's what a lot of entrepreneurial people say. And you've, I know that you've heard it from, I listened to James Dempster's podcast the other day and he said the same, but it's a really common denominator with creative entrepreneurs is that actually we are unemployed, but we're okay with that, yeah. you know. Yeah, I think you're right. Pretty much every episode I've done so far has been similar to that. Like you say, people allude to that fact. Hang on, I'm just, I've got to a point I am just in that stage, I'm just unemployable and I can't uh, 
<laughs> yeah. And I've always said, like, for me, you know, you've got kids, I've got kids, I always said that no matter what, if I needed to go out and earn money, I wouldn't. No matter what's happened on the business journey, I think we've had some tough times and mm. you're almost without any income. You go, oh. In the back of my mind, always the thought that if I had to, I'd go and get a job. Mm, mm. But believe in myself enough that I can come up with an idea, do something. You know, well, I, I don't want to go off piece, but I guess well, I'm sure we'll come to this a little bit later. But like, even for you, like during sort of lockdown with mm. the baking artist mm. and things mm. like that, like just I'm gonna I'm gonna generate some money. Yeah. I, I can do this. I'm gonna create that, and, and I find that incredible. I guess that's the traits of entrepreneurs. That Definitely. That, yeah. I, I think being employed for me is the like the last step. It's like the absolute last resort, and I would do it if I had to provide for the family, but. I'd really have to try my hardest to get to not get there, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm with you, I'm with you. Um, so we've sort of talked a little bit about it, but what what I'm keen to look at, like, obviously with a variety of roles you've done, mm. like Alexander McLean, uh, Laura Ashley, Warehouse, etc. Um, what was what was it in 2007? What was the catalyst for you to actually go, right, I'm, I'm actually going to start my own company now? Like, what, what Was there something that happened then that made you think, or was it just the fact that you've done... I've done, I've done my time in that area and I just want to go and do, I'll do my own thing. Well, if I'm going to be really honest, I had a really bad experience with Warehouse. Uh-huh. Um, I moved there um, when I was at Laura Ashley, the, the company was going through a series of restructure um, and redundancies and I was offered voluntary redundancy but I was also also off, whoop, offered a role <laughs> within the company which was more senior but for the same money and a lot more responsibility so I chose uh, voluntary redundancy and went and got a job which I, well, I thought was a good move but after about a month moving to quite a fast pace so Laura Ashley's uh, quite a considered brand it's careful range planning it's you know it's got good values we work with really we were bought we well we did it's no longer in existence it worked with really considered factories we had good relationships there wasn't any scamming going on and I went to a fast fashion company where the, it was kind of the opposite of that they're very ruthless very cutthroat they wanted you know one and a half arms a day you know expected to be there from seven till nine and the rest and it wasn't for me I kind of I just you know I realized I'd made a mistake within about two months and um, yeah just I fell pregnant with my first son Finley and again as I went over onto, onto maternity leave I just thought I can't I just this is a this is a really perfect opportunity for me to to try something new because I was going to take a year's maternity leave anyway, yeah. um, so that was really the catalyst for me. Okay, cool. And and to talk to me about free blonde bears and tell listeners a little bit about that and that sort of journey and you know, n- number of awards and and etc. So just yeah, talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so three blonde bears was named after my three children, who I affectionately called the blonde bears because <laughs> they're well. They were all blonde, they're teenage now, so there's various different hair colours <laughs> going on, especially with the daughter. Um, <laughs> um, and um, I joined Not on the High Street, for, um, which is founded by Holly Tucker and Sophie Cornish, um, in 2006 under the name company name Home, which was a partnership business with my mum. And we, had, we were making very high quality um, home goods, so door... It sounds really weird, but it, we did a lot. We made a lot of draft excluders. Right. We were the queens of draft excluders, <laughs> and we had all this beautiful linen um, fabrics that I'd had made out in France, and we would have them come in in the workshops and made bespoke ones. You wouldn't think that that was a thing, but we made a lot of money from it. And as Not on the High Street grew, um, the opportunity for personalization came on board with the CMS, a sort of content management system behind the, the website, was able to allow us to do personalization. Um, my mum wanted to retire, so I bought her out of the business, and it was an opportunity to rebrand and refresh because I wanted to launch as a personalisation company. Yeah. And so that's really where it started from. You know, it was obvious choice to name it after my children, yeah. much to their despite, you know, despair, <laughs> despair. Um, and yeah, so we were, you know, top ten seller in on the high street for several, you know, eight years, I think. Wow. And it grew from there. It was very much a kitchen table business. Yeah. Uh, which soon took over the whole house. I had a purpose-built studio in the garden, which we soon grow out of, and then we ended up in some large premises in Haywards Heath with a whole, you know, we, we were a quite a flexible company, so I'd have a team of seven permanent employees, but then at Christmas we would grow to sort of 30 people, taking on wow. seasonal workers and shrink again, and then grow for Mother's Day, you know, Easter, 
Father's Day. And yeah, it was a real journey. You know, we were the kind of early dot commers, you know, the second wave of the dot commers with, and, you know, very much Holly and Sophie were really pioneers and we were one of the first partners on board, so we had a whale of a time. Yeah, I can, cause I've, listened to, I've, I've listened to actually Holly Tucker's podcast, and she's done, she's done various ones, but I li- I've, the hard performance one I listened to, and mm. it's um, a fascinating story. I've actually heard her speak before as well, and mm. that's about what they did and, and grew that. And it must have been exciting to be part of that at that period, like getting on board at probably an early stage with them and, and you growing as they sort of grow. And well, I was still getting goosebumps for even you saying that because mm. it was so exciting. I mean, it was flipping exhausting. <laughs> but, you know, if Holly said, right, we're going to do this, we're like, yeah, we're going to do it, Holly. You know, it was like about 30 of us, sort of the top sort of top band sellers mm. who would, um, you know, work really closely with Not On The High Street and were developing products for their customers, as it were. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, you know, I saw growth year on year through two recessions and a financial crash. You know, it was very unusual times, you know, but we, because we were small, because we were adaptive and because we were offering that really personalised touch, which was new back then, you yeah, know, back in the, in the early noughties, no one else, does, you know, everyone's doing that now. You yeah. can get that down Tesco's, do you know what I mean? But yeah, back yeah. then, it was unusual. And because I had a bit of a design heritage behind me as well, it was all about the story, about the kids about you know taking photos of me with the kids that we were cooking together so it was kind of it was really fun yeah yeah and, that, and that's a love, a love a part of any brand i guess and, and any business is it, you know james dempsey you mentioned mm. earlier on the podcast he would allude to his book because he's an advocate but everyone's got to have that story mm. got to have, and it's not only their journey but the story behind because that if, if there's something in that story that's authentic and, mm. and honest and true that's what people buy into isn't it and yeah like I'm a huge believer in storytelling and I think that goes across everything in life, you know, that's how you connect with people, by sharing your story yeah. and definitely as a brand, and I know James has rebranded, is it Fox and, Fox and Bear, Bear? Fox and Bear, yeah, so, um, and there's loads of companies out there, I've got loads of friends who have got small businesses that have really, the name is so important because it's, you are telling a story, you're yeah. inviting people onto your website, into your world, into your Instagram account. Yeah. And they're there because they want to be. So it's all about that and get that level of engagement that people can connect with. It's yeah. so important. Yeah, no, I agree. And I want, like, uh, I'm keen to actually listen, talk, listen to you talk about the staff. So you had seven full-time staff mm. and that. From your experience, obviously, man, working at places like Alexander Queen, mm. you're actually managing big teams mm. like that. What, um, how different was that to actually running when, it, when it's your own, when it's your own business? Was there a... a did you just take the experience in there and go, right, this is quite similar, I can do that? Or because it's your own and you're, it's your own business, you're that bit more passionate about it. Is it was it different running a team like that compared to bigger teams? I found it, pers- on a personal level, I found it easier because I wasn't having to answer to somebody. You know, like yeah. I think, you know, I was never in, um, I ended up as a senior buyer. That was my last role at Warehouse. And I'm always answerable to the head of buying, to the director of fashion, to the... Yeah. Sure. you know the chief exec and there was always board presentations to get decisions signed off so mm-hmm. I very much embraced not having to do any of that and we kind of as a team we make decisions together I really embraced the team because they were my customers as well so a lot of them um, a lot well my first employee Lauren had she'd looked after my kid in a crash at the gym and like, we just got on well and it just yeah. I just noticed that she was good at talking to people so she was obvious a great customer service advocate so she ended up being this she ended up being my office manager and actually all the other people that worked for me um were customers and said oh have you got any jobs going i really like wow. what you're up to so it was actually quite it was very organic staff employment i mean the, the casual staff were different because you know some years we had so much trade i would have phoned up anybody and got them to come home <laughs> for a minute i was literally dragging in people from the street it was crazy you know wow. i mean um, even my partner jason was um pulled in the first year we were dating and was like can you have you got any holiday left from work james <laughs> and he's like come in and he's like this he's like this is mental i was like yeah it's really fun doesn't it get on with it <laughs> <laughs> you, you've been too slow Great yeah. one. Great one. i love that well I don't, and i had a set then that, that's really interesting then, that people seeing what you're taking people on seeing what you're doing and buying into that because mm. then i guess again we we talk i talk about culture a lot on, mm. on, the, on the podcast and which is something i find fascinating i think I've, i mean you've spoke offline about mm. it before i remember i really i really struggled at the salon with not being a hairdresser mm. and trying to create a, 
a culture in and getting people to believe in mm. in what I was doing. And I guess by you having such a creative background and you know leading from the front, but people seeing what you're doing and, and buying into that, you almost they're, they're buying into a culture automatically. Or did that did that sort of grow organically as well? Or how, how was it was very much an organic thing. I think. Um, it's engagement with product initially, yeah. so they've bought the product. They know me from around. I mean, lot, all the people I employed were local. They were yeah. in my hometown, so which is great. Yeah. At the, you know, now it's great, but at the time I couldn't go down the town for a coffee without bumping into someone <laughs> yeah, thinking, sure. "Oh, sure. she was a bit naughty the other day." But yeah, very organic, and ultimately. How did how did I foster it? I think it was just complete involvement. I kind of. I realised that the brand, so initially where it started from to where it ended up, was a very different creature. Mm -hmm. So it started off as sort of something small, exciting, and um, very creative, and at the end, it was like a big moving ship, a bit like that ship that got stuck in the Suez Canal, that if you get it in one direction, it's really hard to turn it. Yeah, so it's yeah. kind of, it's a tricky thing to manage as you grow, and I think maybe that was the biggest challenge to me, yeah. was to try and kind of keep the ethos of the brand whilst growing the business it's a really difficult thing and as you go through you know the first three years really difficult yeah. very exciting and then you get to a mid period of trade there also that's also quite it can be quite challenging in terms of having the passion still and knowing where to take it and grow should i grow is that the right thing to do yeah. or actually i need this amount to grow but i don't want to take investment how do i do this so it, it becomes a different thing and yeah. it was ultimately ended up somewhere where i just wasn't happy with it yeah okay that's interesting I mean, just before we move on because i want to get to that that point i just like, like, like we alluded to previously and said about you know number of awards that, that mm. when I was looking on your profile what can you can you pinpoint maybe your most successful moment or the greatest achievement with with Green Blonde Bears was uh, it? yeah I mean I've there were so many I think <laughs> you know and that's what I'm able to look now a bit of time has passed since I dissolved the company and I'm, I'm able to look back at it and go oh yeah that was fun you know yeah. that was great I think um we got listed for three consecutive years in the UK startup 100s as um they 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 sort of researched the top 100 companies who were sort of the most creative. Just they saw that it was creative disruptors. I didn't really like the word disruptor, so I'm going to take it as innovators. Yeah, I'm going to yeah, change yeah, that for yeah, them. Yeah. Um, but we got yeah, <laughs> just because I didn't like it, you know. Yeah, thank you very we much. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we got listed for three consecutive years in that list as a as a, um so it was 2012 through to 14, and that was a really big thing because actually I didn't know those guys. They weren't personal friends. They were looking at the business, the brand, the story, how we communicated. Because it again, at the same time, it was the emergence of social media back in sort of 2000. I, I can't remember when Facebook was, but when I know when I got it, it was like 2006, 2007. So we were all growing up as adults and businesses, trying to utilize all these things and not knowing if we were getting it right. So to hear from somebody else you know, a board, we had a really good board of selectors. That was a really big thing for me. Yeah. And of course, getting the call up by um, Sir Terry Leahy and Lord, I can't remember his name, Lord Young, he's <laughs> lovely. <laughs> it's bad, isn't it? I've got him in notes here. Yeah, good, good, yeah. I'm glad you said it earlier. I was like, yeah. I was like oh, we're meant to research that this morning. My brain's not as good as it used to be. But that was, a, that getting that letter through and then kind of um, being, cho being told that you're like, in the country there's 250 people who are brilliant at this and you're one of them and of you know and of that top, there was another 25 of us selected and we went up to Downing Street and met with them to talk about yeah. um, and it was very much about um, engagement and employment in your community which is something I'm so passionate about yeah. it's always been like a thread through my life is where I live is where I love yeah. and where I love is where I want to support. So those, that's a really Amazing. big um, stream that runs through my life, really. Yeah. That's incredible. That's incredible. Um, okay, so as, let's move on. So we coming up to sort of obviously 2018, talk mm. just now about obviously dissolving Free Blonde Bear. So what, what, led, what led to the decision to dissolve that? Uh, so there's like, you know, five or six things. Um, yeah. Ultimately, the real essence is that I had fallen out of love with it and I don't I haven't quite figured out exactly when that happened but it happened a couple of years before then I think there was an element of saturation in the marketplace so when I was saying earlier when we first started the business we were the pioneers you know 
I was the first person to do a printed personalised mug. Now you can get them anywhere, you know. Yeah, yeah, and also yeah. we weren't cheap, you know, we were charging, you know, 18 quid for that, whereas you can get it for three forty nine on Vistaprint now, you know, like it's a really different world out there and actually um, we were finding that in all of our product areas, so our sort of hero products that we're bringing in our base salary or um, turnover were you know they were being chipped away at all the time because somebody was coming in cheaper faster importing it you know and it, I kind of lost the energy for for doing that and I didn't want to, I didn't want to be competing we'd also got to a point with the business where we had to replace you know you kind of had to create a bestseller now for me all of my bestsellers came from a drunk moment uh, a brainwave in the shower, a conversation with a friend. But when you sit down at a desk and you've gone, right, there's the Definition mug, which was one of our amazing products. We sold like 45,000 units of it. Wow, wow. Sales are dropping off, you know, cumulatively over yeah. the years. We need to replace it. And there's a lot of pressure in that moment to do that. And then you're looking at a saturated marketplace. So saturated marketplace, sales are dropping off. I'd fallen out of love with it. And there was one. There was one Christmas we had. I think it was 2016. Christmas is so pivotal to gifting. Yeah, so we will take approximately 75% of our turnover in a six-week period, wow. and that is wow. very difficult to manage as a business. Anybody that works in retail, and particularly gifting and online delivery. So we're not in charge of once the product leaves us. We're essentially out of control. Yeah, yeah. We're reliant upon our delivery partners to to do the jobs for us. Um, so. Making the money in that period of time is very important. We had a terrible 2016. And I think we had a terrible 2016 in general, especially after the Brexit vote. A lot of our products were being our sort of substrate products, which is the stuff that's blank that wasn't necessarily having manufactured. Some of it was manufactured in the UK, some of it was importing. All of our suppliers put the prices up by 30% because of the uncertainty about Brexit. I had a terrible Christmas. I was like, I sat down with my accountant again. No, yeah. no, because we'd just done a big round of investment in equipment the year before, so I was still, we didn't have the coffers that we normally have. Um, okay, well, we keep it tight. We made a couple of redundancies of part timers. Um, and then, so the next big thing is Mother's Day for us. Now, at Mother's Day, I could take enough money in that one event to pay my staff salary for the whole year. Wow. I took two grand in 2017. And that was the point, I just sat down, we went through the figures on a very, very um, clinical level, yeah. because I, because I'd fallen out of love with it, I could do it. Yeah. And it was very much a cold, hard decision, right, we're gonna do, I'm going to try and save it, I'm going to downsize. So we made all the stuff redundant, gave notice on the premises, moved it back home to the studio that was in the yeah, garden, yeah, sure, sure. Um, and, and that was a like that was I'm making that sound easy so like we had a really difficult landlord and we had you know um, contracts in place that I had to try and get out of all this stuff that surrounds having a business and you know those people that are, you know we were a really big team you know we're still in touch now um, how was that for you because I, I, I still remember that day going into the salon mm. until we had 10 staff at mm. the time um, wasn't a nice fit and you know, horrible feeling knowing that I've got look, we haven't I've got to close the business, they haven't got a job anymore. What what went through like how did you feel personally then? What went through your mind at that stage? Like It was horrible. I ended up having I mean in all honesty, ended up having a nervous breakdown around that time, you know, like it was really difficult yeah. and actually the girls were brilliant. Um the team were really understanding. I made sure they were looked after so yeah. Um, I made sure they got all their redundancies and we talked it through. Some of them found jobs quicker so that we could let them go earlier, but I still gave them their redundancy. You know, I did look yeah. after them. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it was crap, you know. It was kind of, you know, moving from a big business premises into a small studio in your garden. It's yeah. like, and then you're not, and then you don't have that separation. Do you know what I mean? You yeah, kind of yeah, can't yeah, walk cool. out, you know. Yeah. It was really difficult. It was a difficult time, oh, yeah. yeah. Sure. But, but then you do, like, as, as you do and we, we'll go on to obviously the next stage but you do sort of obviously then sort of bounce back from that you do mm. you, like you obviously then closed in, in 2000 but I mean and, you know we talk about around that sort of time around 2000 obviously with Free Blonde Bear you, you sort of then return to your, your creative roots mm. during obviously we go we can talk about now and other bits and 
pieces, but moving on. But, um, you know, the art, baking, mm. things like that, talking about them, that, that period of time, like, mm. how do you come out of that? Well, I'm going to have to close that company then mm. and, and move on to something else. Well, in actual fact, what happened was, so when I, so I made all the stuff redundant early 2017, downsized the business, and on the 25th of July 2017, I'd been, I, so I was having a nervous breakdown, yeah. you know, fun times, um, and, you know, all the stresses and strains that puts on relationships, family, yeah. the whole thing, you know, we suddenly got a massive loss of income because I was a primary yeah. owner. Um, and I wasn't well. I kept, there were so many things wrong, and I've always been a really, really healthy person. Mm. I was powerlifting. I was like, you know, top, you know, a bit obsessive. Yeah. You know, like typical kind of entrepreneur kind of thing. But um, there was loads of niggly things not right. I'd had hypocalcemia, had blood problems. Everything wasn't right, but nothing wasn't bad enough mm. at the same time. So. I was going through really hot sweats. We looked into whether that was early menopause, but it wasn't like that. Hypercalcemia means you're super, super deficient in calcium, which is very unusual. Uh, and I was then a lot younger. <laughs> Four years ago, I can't think I was 39. I was 30, yeah, 39 back then. And um, yeah, just a series of things that weren't right. My gut was playing up. I had this brilliant GP and she said, oh, there's one more thing we're gonna test for. And so they ran the tests, and yeah, on the 25th of July, I'll never forget it, 2017, I got a phone call telling me I'd been diagnosed uh, with Hodgkin's lymphoma nodular sclerosis. For those of you that don't know what that is, it's a rare type of blood cancer that is um, triggered by the Epsom Barr virus, and I'd had glandular fever when I was 18, so it's a residue of, of that. And that really was a deciding point, so actually I kind of, the, the company ceased trading on that day. So that was, right. the phone call happened. Jace was actually um, up at Lord's Cricket getting on the jolly. Uh, so I hadn't told him because I didn't want to interrupt his day. And um, I just phoned up all the, all my creditors, all the kind of business partners relationship and said, no, I'm, this is, I'm stopped. Just so you know, this has happened and I've stopped. And then started the, the sort of dissolve, dissolving, no. dissolvation, what's that word? Dissolving yeah, process. Dissolve. Yeah, 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 you know yeah, what I mean. Yeah. And yeah, that was, that was pretty much the deciding factor for me and 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 then from there treatment chemotherapy wasn't fun and actually i say art saved me that's how i got into art again because i had to do so i kind of got to um so i had six months of chemotherapy quite intense into chemotherapy and steroid pulsing treatment and all sorts of other things and I came out, I think it was, yeah, it was 12th of December that year, I got into remission for the first time. And we got to the new year, I was feeling pretty crap. Yeah. Everyone thinks remission's a, um, something to celebrate, but actually it just means that your cancer's under control. It doesn't mean cured. Yeah, yeah. And I think there's a lot of uh, miseducation around cancer and what cancer looks like. Yeah. Um, so I kept people saying, oh, that's brilliant. When are you going to be back to normal? And actually what I was left with, a body that I didn't recognise and a health and energy level that I couldn't cope with because I've, I'm a high energy person. I'm used to achieving. I'm used to getting out and doing stuff. And um, I, ha I just sort of sat there going, right, what the hecky peck do I do now? Like I've, I don't have the business. I felt like I'd failed with the business for a long time. I felt a massive sense of failure. Um, yeah, and I just picked up, there was a, um, so every year the Royal Academy have something called the Summer Exhibition, and that year it was Grayson Perry um, curating it, and he put a call out, so they put the brief out, and I thought, oh, I'm just going to do that, because I love Grayson, like, I don't know him, but I'm his best friend, he just doesn't know it yet, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I started making, and that's, it. that was the start, it was this, it was a healing process and it gave me confidence and that every step took me to meet someone else who introduced me back to this and reminded me I could do that. And that's kind of how it's gone. It's been, a, again, quite organic, but almost like it's supposed to be. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, thank you, one, for sharing that. But I, I guess I'm, I'm really interested because that, that, do you feel that, you know, we've obviously couple of things there but you know you're going to close your company and you've been diagnosed with cancer and that's like just blind blowing for people how do you cope with that how do you but do you feel that because of your mindset and being an entrepreneur now you have been a, a, over the years and like you said a doer i'll get up and i'll do things and I'll do, that helps maybe with the the, the 
cancer and trying to get you out of that life. Just because ultimately I've known you for a while as a positive person, mm. you, you know, you've got this positive, amazing energy. Like mm. every time, uh, every time we go to an event together, or I've, I've been out for a drink with you or for dinner, or you just, I leave feeling inspired by you. You're, you're a true inspiration, I, and I get that positive energy, and that's why I love having conversations with mm. you. And I'm so excited about you coming on, and so. I, I guess I'm just keen to see that that period of time, because it must have been some dark places. You must have felt low, I'm mm. sure at the time. But just being able to get yourself, well, okay, I'm going to get myself out of this, and this is this is the path. Well, I, you know, you can't do it all on your own, as I would say. And Jason and I have been together for just over six years, and he was a massive support for me and the yeah. kids. And I've, I have like. I live what I call a transparent life, so I'm an open book. So yeah. if you don't like that, that's your problem. But this yeah. is the way we roll, you know, kind of thing. And um, I, you know, I recognise there were moments where I kind of really dark moments where Jay sort of, you know, gently said to me, "I think we need to get some help here." So you know, I did. You know, I went and got, and still have help with mental health, yeah. with um, therapy, stuff like that. And actually, I think you know, and part of me saying the business is closed on the day that I get my cancer diagnosis was me going that's what I need to focus on I need to focus on my health my family and getting better or getting through this and not knowing and actually um, you know now in hindsight I can look back on that and actually it was although it was difficult to close the business and I did I definitely did feel a sense of failure I think I did the right thing you know like it was about priorities isn't it you know and there is no greater priority than your, your own health yeah. as a mother you know if I'm not well, how can I look after my partner, my children, my home? You know, it's kind of a no-brainer. Yeah, the massive dark moments, you know, kind of... But... <laughs> and there's always a but, 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 but... And I think that I'm much more balanced. I'm less aggressive now. I'm kind of more considered. I think I'm a little bit more approachable because I've been through that, because it's kind of your priorities are brought into very sharp focus when you go through something like, you know, with health stuff, particularly business. You know, business is just business. I've always yeah. said that. It doesn't define me. I love it, but it's not me. Yeah. It's business. With cancer stuff, you, you suddenly learn, and this is really difficult for an entrepreneur to say, that you lose complete control over everything in your life. Okay, so that was the thing, and I kind of had to give into that. I had tried to fight it for a while, but you have to. That you know, ultimately, that was the biggest learn for me because you don't know what's going in your body, you don't know what day it's happening. You start to get all these different things happening to you, then things change quickly, and you just have to go with it. And I think you know, how did I cope with it? I just made friends, and I talked to people, and you know, and I think. Knowing people who've been through similar treatments, no two cancer diagnoses are the same. It's the people with that kind of positive attitude that can dedicate the time to time to the cancer. Go actually, you, hello, you know, yeah. who are you? You know, what can I, what can we do? You know, how can I move forward and how can I get rid of you? You know, yeah. and actually put it, look at it face on, rather than do the woe is me and isn't this awful? And I've never, and even now, I'm still, I'm back in cancer treatment at the moment, and I don't make it a big public thing. Yeah. It's something that I need to do, and I'm mindful of it, yeah. but it's not going to stop me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> some, uh, what, an, what an amazing, amazing story, and, and, and like you said, an amazing mindset to be able to have that, that sort of still that free. Because like you say, some people can't do it and, and deal with it in different ways. And um, Look, I thank you for sharing that, Jay. That's brilliant. I mean, look, look, let, let, let's move on to the, the art. Because, like you said, that sort of, I guess, in a therapy way, sort of helped you and you sort of yeah. got back into it. And look, you're, you're certainly, when I say I'll speak, speak to you, you're someone that doesn't do things by half. <laughs> so I'm going to do some painting in my studio, and then all of a sudden, well, we're on the landscape artist TV show, you're doing <laughs> commissions, and etc. Tell me about it. Where, where, where are we with the art and, and everything? That's oh my God, on? it's so cool. I just, like, I just love it. I kind of like. <laughs> I just like I can't I have to pinch myself daily to be honest with you. I mean, okay, so it doesn't happen overnight. No, by no, the way, by the way, you no, know no, this no, is no, I'm no. like year four of an artist, and there is a lot of hard work that goes on behind the yeah, scenes. Yeah, sure. um, but I was, it's funny now. I feel like I should have really been doing this my whole life because it's like a complete joy, you know. Like, but there are other sides to it as well, which yeah. I won't, you know. Or maybe that's a time for another podcast. <laughs> um, yeah, episode two. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I just, it's just, 
it's meant to be, you know, like it kind of, it just feels like a complete extension of my character and personality, tie that together with the event stuff. I mean, the, the baking artist, you know, was very much started because we needed money. I mean, I've always said to Jace um, and the kids, if we need money, I'll go get it. And very much, you know, typical artist, you start out, you're not, making it, you know, you're selling a print for 75 quid a pop or whatever, you're not going to pay the mortgage. Yeah. And so then we're a bit skint and I said to Jace, I'm going to take on a market stall. You know, I, I told him the night before, because this is blessing. <laughs> this is the way it rolls in our house. By the way, tomorrow you're helping me at a market. <laughs> what? <laughs> he loves it. Uh, you can ask him a different time whether yeah, he does yeah, actually yeah, love it yeah, or not. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Over in the groaning Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> and, um, and we went and did um, Cookfield Market. And it was, do you know what? It had potential. I thought, wow, I've just baked for like two hours. And I've got like 300 quid. Okay, okay. So that solves that mortgage issue or the whatever it was that we needed to pay. And yeah, so I kind of, you know, grew and developed that kind of... It's very much the, the other thing that I do. So it's become part of... And actually what's, what's going to happen going forward is that it's all going to be one thing. That's the way I'm going to sort of package myself it won't be the baking artist and joanna miles it'll just be joe yeah, you know that'll yeah. be eventually because it's really intrinsic part of my creativity like you yeah, i yeah. love food yeah. <laughs> um i love cooking i love the um i love the joy that it brings to people and i also think it's it is a massive art form like when i put food on a plate i want it to look nice you know i want people to put food in their mouth and it bring them joy you know and actually that's part of my art so it's kind of it started off as we needed some money, and now I've got, um, so I do two markets a month. I've got Hassocks and Cookfield. They both sell out markets for me. I make Lebanese food, which I absolutely love. Um, I've met some brilliant producers on the way. So um, Mamouche Bakery over in New Haven. Um, yeah. I, I buy a wholesale there. Peter, you've had them, haven't yeah. you? They're you amazing. recommended them to me. Yeah. I bought them from you. Yeah. And I was like, wow, these are great. <laughs> yeah, I've used them in a couple of the, the Saki things that I've bought. Yeah. Oh, Just amazing. And she's, and you know, so I've met all these amazing small macro producers from doing the markets. And I found this little gang of tribe of people that are really passionate about what they do and they're amazing you know like Annette from Mamouche makes these pitters that are like out of this world and she you know I'm lucky enough for her to wholesale them to me so they complement my foods and on the back of it Jason and I we started up a market pre-lockdown in Hayward Teeth but you know the old Rona came along and ruined yeah. that for us so we we're just about to relaunch our own Hayward Teeth producers market on the 16th of October amazing. in Hayward Teeth um, and um you know, that's definitely, I think that's kind of be, that'll be the thing that Jason and I do together. It's kind of passionate about, it brings that community line back in. I love what I do. I love where I live. I love my community. I want to support it. And, you know, that whole food enjoyment thing is just very much part of it. And actually, you know, I had them, um, I got fangirled on my, one of my markets the other week, which was just like a really, mo a big moment for me. Because <laughs> this, um, this lady came along, was asking about the food and, we got chatting and she, I think I had some of my, the cookment project, which we'll probably talk about yeah. shortly, um, um, flyers on my market store. And she's like, oh, this is lovely. And she said, oh gosh, it really reminds me. Do you watch Landscape Artist? I was like, yeah. She said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Didn't, well, I don't want to go straight in. I was on it. You know. You've not seen the episode. Yeah. Well, she said there was this, this, she's looking at me and she says, oh, it's really similar to this long, tall piece of art. And, I said, oh yeah, was it at the reservoir? She was like, yeah. She said, did she get through to the final three? She went, yeah. I said, that was me, love. <laughs> <laughs> and she was like that. And she goes, oh, can you sign it for me? And she like, ended up having a really long conversation about it. And, and then that's happened more often now. So we're kind of, somehow it's all going to end up together. I'm not sure how that's going to happen. I think the market's going to be sort of uh, pivotal in that, I would say. So, um, but yeah. I love that. Yeah. What I love about that. The, the hustle side of it, the going, you know what, need to get some money. Yeah. What, what am I going to do? Like, I'm, people say to me about the entrepreneurial, you know, where you yeah. maybe start off. And I, I always, like, my, my parents were, they really hard workers, mm. taught me a really strong work ethic, lovely people, but wasn't entrepreneurial, both had jobs. So I, I never know. But I think, I always say to people, I think I just watch too much Only Falls and all things <laughs> like that. And that was my thing. Not that probably he was the best businessman in the world, certainly not. <laughs> Probably why I've done what I've done. Anyway, but yeah, I just love, and I love the hustle, like the thought of going, 
need some money, I'm going to go and get it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Jace, we're going to go and do a market tomorrow. I, I'm great at cooking, I'm going to bake something, I'm going to go and sell it. And I, what I just, that for me is real, true entrepreneurship and mm -hmm. just that entrepreneurial spirit, just going, I'm, I haven't got any money, I'm going to go and generate mm -hmm. it from, I've got these skills, this is what I can do. And uh, and then from it to do that, and I'll, obviously I'll follow you on Instagram mm -hmm. and stuff, and the, the, the images are amazing, mm -hmm. your food is incredible. Yeah. And, and I just love it, like you said, this, what, what really strikes me actually, and what's really great talking to you again for when I obviously thought we I know a bit about you but reading up on different bits mm -hmm. and pieces you've done mm -hmm. and what's really nice is that that sort of creative stuff that you do that you're just genuinely passionate about so obviously you've done your bachelor's and stuff like mm -hmm. that in, in, in textiles so you went into that creative industry so that was stimulating that but then going it back into the art where that creative side is it's just doing things that you're passionate about mm -hmm. and businesses are built on passion then it's nothing, look, you, you've done it as a way to generate some income to pay a mortgage, but it comes from that passionate side that's only going to grow mm, because mm. of that. I think it's, it's fascinating. And, and, yeah. It's really important. I think, you know, like, you, and like, actually Holly Tucker talks about this a lot, you get so many days on this planet as mm. a human. Yeah. And I certainly don't want to say that I wasted those days doing shit that I didn't like doing. Am I okay to swear? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. okay. Absolutely. <laughs> um, well, you've said that now. I'll try, and try and be, I'll try and be polite. But actually, you know what? It's about that kind of, why wouldn't you do what you're passionate about? I mean, I know there's loads of reasons, you know, for people that aren't entrepreneurial listening to this saying, oh, it's very well you saying that, Joe. You've... You don't know any different. Yeah, I do know different because I did do that. But also, just remember, you don't have to. You get you make choices every single day, and actually, you know, like the baking artist is a classic, excuse me, classic example of that. You know, I've as I grew that through the lockdown and did food delivery services and all sorts of different ways of making money to get us through that and keep my sanity through lockdown. Yeah. Um, and the same time Sky happening, Wheels on Sky Landscape of the Artist of the Year, and you know, the minute that that went to air, I mean, I saw a lot of paintings, you know, yeah, for a lot yeah. of money, and actually then there was a juncture where we go, do we need to do that anymore? You've got an agent, an art agent now, and part of a connected artist club, so there's lots of resources, hard work that goes on. Yeah, sure. And, um, excuse me, um, yeah, we got to a point where we said, well, do you really need to do that? And financially, not really. So why am I doing it? Because I bloody love it. I love doing it. Like it's you're saying, it's about, there's something about selling. And I think this is, you know, comes around to what makes an entrepreneur is actually what the sort of core skills. And actually you can't, being able to sell and having interpersonal connections with people that is based on a mutual respect is so important. I really believe that, you know, actually, you know, a lot of my market... Um, customers have become friends, you know, as always, but, and you just don't know who you're talking to. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? You yeah. never know who who that person is or what their story is. Yeah. Stories again comes through, you know, like it's yeah. So we've kept it on, and actually, my kids come to the market with me, yeah. and actually, Finley and Dexter are getting really good at all the payment systems. My son Finley just very recently, and I'm incredibly proud of him at 15. He's launched his first business. And he, yeah, and he's doing, and it's his own idea. It's it's nothing special, like the market thing. He's washing people's cars. He noticed that all the sort of um, supermarket car park wash guys have disappeared. You know, for several whatever reasons that is. And so he had some flyers done, put them up the road. This Saturday, no Sunday, gone. He earned sixty quid. I mean, he's fifteen. How cool is that? And if that's come from me doing. Do you know what, mum, we needed some money, mum needed to make some money, she started a market store, he sees how much people love my work, he comes along and helps me, we have a laugh together, and he's gone on to do that, my job's done, as a parent. You know what, 100%, I, I talked on a, on a previous podcast, we were talking about, what, about education and, mm. and, and kids and stuff like that, and you know, I, I'm, I, not, I think, I, I go over this about the education, is it a bit broken in the sense that, mm. you know, you're judged on being tested on one day and blah blah blah. But I think for me, unless my kids come to me and go, look, Dad, I want to be a lawyer or I want to be a doctor. Mm. So you've got to go to university. That's the path to get there. Of course, I support them whatever they do. Mm. But I'd love to think that maybe they see some of the stuff and know that there's a different path. Mm. Whatever path they're they're going to go on is mm. fine. But know that there's a different path. I think when I was 
younger, I go back to me being at school, that, that, that wasn't there. Like, you know, we look at it and go, entrepreneurship wasn't even really a thing back then. I don't even think, think it was a word back no, then. No, I, I, I certainly can't, can't spell it now, let <laughs> back then. But, uh, Just yeah. about say it, Sam. We're at this kind of time. But yeah, I find that, and I, I, honestly, that for me, is, I would, it would be almost like a dream for me. I yeah. think if the kids come to me and, and said, like, Dad, I'm going to set this up, and I'm like, that would blow my mind. I think, uh, oh, you I'm must not allowed to say it, and he's absolutely going to kill me for saying it on here, but I'm very proud of you, Finley. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because he said yeah. it the other night, stop saying that, it's embarrassing. And I was like, I'm so proud of you. So cool. But it is as it does feel like, and that is from, you know, sharing experience, being transparent, not being too proud either, you know. You know, because, you know, you've got to remember that, you know, in these places where I was doing markets, I've employed half the freaking town. You know, and then all of a sudden I popped up with some falafels and a bit of pizza and hummus. And they're like, what's she up to? It's like, well, actually, I need to make some money. You know, like I used to pay your wage, I need to pay my wage. You know, like it's just about not being, you know, to take that sense of shame or whatever it is that you feel and just to say, go, okay, I recognise that that's sitting there. What can I do with that? Is that really important? What's more important? Is it paying the bills? Yeah, the bills are more important. Shall I, okay, shall I do this and be grumpy about it? Or should I do something that I really love and see if we can have some fun? And I guess that's kind of my preset, yeah. Awesome, awesome. Let's, um, let, let's quickly talk, I want to talk, and we, you mentioned it briefly there as we was going over and up, we said we'd come back to it. So, so the Cook Me a Haven project. Tell me a little bit about wow, that. Wow, yeah, well. so that's been a roller coaster in itself. So, um, how did that happen? So, every year there's a festival in Lewis, it's been going for, I'm going to say 27 years, I'll probably get told off because that might not be right, yeah. but it's um, Art Wave Festival Lewis, which happens every summer. Um, started off in Lewis and now it's kind of East Sussex, more, but it's centralised in Lewis, but it's rounded about in East Sussex. And 2019 was the year that I first took part in it, which was a piece of art, I had two pieces of art, one of which was the piece of art that got me onto Sky Landscape Artist of the Year. Yeah. So I have like a really f sort of strong affection for the festival and was trying to, with the backing of my agent, get more organised. Um, so she was like, what's going on with Artwave, you need to know. Okay, so I called up Charlotte Parsons, who runs the whole thing, I said, oh, who's doing open calls, what's happening? She didn't have anything initially. A couple more conversations down the line. She offered me something with somebody that I didn't like and I let her know I didn't like her and then we became <laughs> friends. And she thought of me for another project, which is, um, she introduced me to this couple called Kitty and Michael Ann, who um, used to run just Drusilla's. Oh, okay. uh, sort of the Ann family have got a long heritage in, um, in Sussex, so the whole family pretty, you know, really intrinsically linked with the area and they've got property down there. And they wanted to do this exhibition. Never, they're not artists. They're not. Um, they'd run events. They're, these guys are in their eighties, by the way. They're not, you know, right. they've got. Yeah. They're really inspirational people. Wow. Wow. Um, Hannah, so she got, put me in contact with Kitty and Michael, and I had a conversation with them. And you know, when you just click with someone, yeah. like, yeah. you know, there was. I liked what they were doing. They want to raise money to repair the sea defences down at Cookmerhaven. They wanted to put on some kind of art exhibition. They had the location. They'd booked it in paid the art wave fees but didn't really know how to to do to you know make yeah. it happen yeah, so yeah, sure. had a chat with them a couple of times and went so there's four co-founders as um, Wendy Bradley and Brad and um, it's just come from there and actually it's been like um I didn't really know what to expect with it I kind of probably should have charged a bit more sorry guys <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um it was um it's just been this again another amazing thing it's about being able to put you know and that comes back to being able to pick up the phone and have the conversation and be open to things that yeah. come to you and actually we've ended up with this amazing so it's on at the moment it's over at Seaford Hill Barnes in Seaford um, and it we created an open call so for um, art of depicting or inspired by Cookmere Haven we had over 200 artists enter. We had a really punchy panel of judges. Holly Tucker kindly um, put her head in for that one. We had James Trollope, who's an author and sort of ex-journalist and expert with Eric Slater. So if anyone knows um, artists, you'd know about Eric Slater, who's a Sussex artist post-war. Gear King of King and McGraw, who is like the world's biggest and finest art repro print producer. Well, a printer. Yeah. Sorry, Gear. Um, and Dinah Casson, who of Casson a man, and Dinah is the sort of lead um, 
selector for the RA for the Royal Academy. Yeah. So, she, you know, really amazing people. And if I'm really honest, I didn't necessarily. So I knew James and Holly, obviously, but I wasn't. Yeah. I wasn't in contact with dear or Dina, Gear or Dina, or even really necessarily knew who they were. <laughs> so it's been a really big learning curve. So you know, ended up working really closely with some of these the kind of most influential people in the art world, you know, wow. those two are really, you know, mega. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, what, you know, liaising with artists, getting the open call in, getting the hang selected, learning how to put on an exhibition, an art exhibition. So I might, I have put on an exhibition before, but it was a really low key thing, but not this kind of big, <laughs> over three weeks with events surrounding wow. it, sponsors, you know, we've got 75 individual artists, the team, you know, like, so it's a real learning curve, but actually I've done all that stuff before, maybe, but just maybe not all together, but it's been a really positive, I mean, we've, you know, the whole thing is to raise money for Cookman Haven SOS, which is a registered charity yeah. that's looking to repair the sea defences, um, and they're a really worthy charity and yeah. lovely people, they've got a great chair, Michael Davis of, um, he is a professor at Brighton University. There's some really interesting people involved in the whole project. Yeah. So it's just, um, it's, it's really interesting and it's doing really well. And I think, you know, we had a team call, we, we did a FaceTime call yesterday um, just to catch up. Cause you know, with anything like this, it's yeah, not just, it's not just, it carries on behind the scenes. You're working quite hard all the time to ensure that it's promoted and things are going on. But actually I said to the founders yesterday, after we chat, so like, are you happy? They're like, yeah, we're yeah. Like, just try and get some sleep, please, guys. But yeah, it's brilliant. It's amazing. It's incredible. What, what, take it out of what, what I hear and what I think is fascinating as well is that, and this is something you allude to, but as an, as an entrepreneur, you talk about opportunities. Mm. So just as, because of your mindset that, and because you're not, right, I've got a job, I work nine to five, that's my role, that's mm. what I do. Where you're an entrepreneur, you, you're involved in various different businesses, mm, various mm. different ideas, but you're always open to open to opportunity, I guess is the key. Mm, I think mm. that's something that I've, I've, I've never never got a closed mind. I always think to myself that, you know, I don't know what's around the corner. There might be an opportunity. I always work. Like, I think the key is have a conversation with someone. Who knows where that's going to go? Like, Yeah, you know. absolutely. And again, it's that kind of the conversation, the story, the shared connection, you know, absolutely. and you just don't, if you don't pick up that phone and make that phone call and talk to that person about, that potential opportunity. Yeah. I mean, when I phoned Kitty up, I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't know who the Anne family were. I didn't know what their links were. I didn't know their influence and how far reaching it was. But we got on and then we've ended up at a, you know, with a project that's really successful and, you know, it's not finished. We're not yeah, done yeah, yet, yeah, you know, yeah, and yeah. hopefully my, you know, my, thing, yeah, it? definitely my hope for the project, you know, whether or not I'm involved in the future, that we've created the foundation of something really special mm. and a template that can be replicated year upon year. Of course, I'd love to be involved at various stages, but I'm not going to be there forever. Yeah, but, you yeah. know, and that's where the, the beauty of having someone like me on board is I'm really good at stuff like that, like having the energy, the, yeah. the sort of awareness and sort of the mindset of being able to tick all those boxes. Yeah. If you ask me to do it year on year, I'm going to not do it. Yeah, I just know yeah. it doesn't suit my character. But definitely, it's been, you know, it's on the back of the, pick up the phone, have the conversation, share your story, listen, listen, yeah. listen. You know. Amazing. Right, well, look, we're, we're sort of coming to the end. So just before we do a quick five questions, mm. I just want to um, find out what, what, what does the future hold for Joe Miles? So, what have, so I recently, um, was given tenure at Chalk Gallery in Lewis. So once Cookmere Haven, I've got my first hang there at the moment, and once Cookmere Haven's sort of wrapped up and I've delivered that project back to the charity, I'll be more focused on that. So you'll see me popping up in sort of an events PR marketing aspect there. Um, I We're in talks with, um, there's a local charity that you'll know about, Table Talk with Dan yes. Wade. Yeah, 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 um, yeah, we're yeah, going really well. to, we're looking to put on a Sussex Open either in 2022 or 2023 with in conjunction with the Royal Academy of Culinary Arts, which will be food focused arts and drinks festival. So wow. there'll be an open call for art inspired by food um, and Sussex producers particularly. Wow. And we're talking about putting on events where we pair an artist with a chef and they create a dish together. It could be, re I think I'm very excited about yeah, it. Yeah, 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 wow. And so that's, that's in the talks. So that'll either be, I would imagine it's probably back end of next year or the year after just yeah. as things pan out and watch what's going on in the world 
I'm doing quite a lot of research as an artist on a female called Peggy Angus, who um, post-war female artist, relatively unknown, very very connected, relatively unknown, but really amazing. So I'm sort of deep in, I'm 18 months into that research. Um, so I should imagine, I'm hoping at some point there'll be a retrospective. So if there's anyone listening who's got a local gallery and who wants to do something, yeah. <laughs> please do get in touch. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's it. I think that's enough to be going on for now. So I've got so chalk. Sure. I've got my Peggy Angus continuing research. I'm doing lots of. I've got lots of interviews lined up post Cookmere with people that there's a few people left that yeah. are still alive that were friends with her. So I'm going to get in there quick, and then um, then we'll switch to Sussex Open and of course Hayward Teeth Producers Market on yeah. the third Saturday of each month over in Hayward Teeth. Amazing, amazing, and the spit the spin in the plates is obviously like you said. I guess like our. our I'll do it, and mm. uh, I've, I've actually come to a realization, especially over the last eighteen months, that I'm actually uh, I've got this going on in that business, and that mm. business, and do them things. But actually, I've just accepted that's who I am as an individual, and I. I but I've, not in an advocate, but I quite like that about me. I, mm. I, I like I like the fact that I've got things going on. And I, just, I don't get bored. I'm, mm. you know, and, and I think there's a, and it's lovely to hear from you as well and the different things like, I, I'm going to do a bit of this I'll do a bit of that mm. and still open to opportunities because something you might have a phone call next week and you'll probably still go yeah I'll squeeze that in as well and I'll, that be that sounds exciting I'll go and do that and it's the freedom that potentially mm. entrepreneurs are able to have the freedom to be able to go I'm going to definitely and for me it's all about time and so actually on the surface people say to me well, the difference is I just do it. You know, when something comes in, I get on with it. Yeah. But I also have a lot of time for myself, and I only have that because of the way that I've worked my life, yeah. you know. And actually, we are really similar in that respect, love for food, multiple businesses. But that's what is my, that's my passion, you yeah. know. You know, that I'm not going to apologise for that, you know, just because yeah. it may feel, you know, I get a lot of people saying, I don't know how you do it, you make me feel inadequate. Well, that's not my fault, yeah. okay? You yeah. know, that's, yeah. your, that's your bad. Maybe yeah. you look at that yourself because... Yeah. I'm having a whale of a time. Yeah. I love, <laughs> I love it. I love it. But, um, listen, brilliant. I mean, look, we're gonna we're gonna finish up. We've got the, mm. the quick fire questions. Yeah. If we can. So, um, funny. First one. What what advice would you give to a young entrepreneur or someone wanting to start their own business? So there's a the motto that I've had my whole life, and um, the acronym is JFDI. Um, when I was pre-cancer, it was just fucking do it, and now it's just flipping do it because I've mellowed out a bit. So. <laughs> <laughs> just get if you've got something what's stopping you you know every single business i founded has been completely organic with no investment so you don't need to have the money you just need to do it jfdi please love it love that um last one can you give me three traits you think a good uh, um a person needs to be a good business person or entrepreneur yeah so communication is the biggest thing and you know that all comes back to the market trade of being brought up with self-employed people but being able to talk to people, pick up the phone, have the conversation, talk to the person in the street. You know, communicator is like my number one thing that I do. It's yeah. all based on any of these connections that have come from communicating. Think outside the box, number two. Yeah. Yeah. Just because you can't doesn't mean you shouldn't. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of... Um, just because it hasn't been done before doesn't mean that you can't do it and there's no one's thought like you have before so that's a big thing I say to my kids just because you can't doesn't mean you shouldn't so that's my sort of second one um, and the third one is sales being able to sell stuff being able to trade you know the market stores again covers that for me but before that I had you know history and sales and stuff like that and you know because that's what you're going to use for pitching for stuff for awards for investment you know networking you know that is it's you're selling yourself you need to be confident and knowing what you are and what you what you're standing for so i think that's really important i think that's a great point actually to set up because no matter what you're doing you're selling something like, I, I learned it like, i remember being you know i wasn't a hairdresser but i owned a hair salon mm. i remember being at the front of it and being like well what am i where do I pigeonhole you? Got pigeonholes. Well, I'm not. Ultimately, I'm selling a service that other people are going to mm. be doing. So I was out networking and telling people to do. See, I, I'm a salesperson. That is what I do. Then, with, even with burn balls, the other thing is, like you said, sales. Is, and I think, I think you're right. Actually, it's such a key trait to be able to, because you're, whether it's a service, a product, whatever it is, you're like you said, a pitch something mm. along them mm. lines. You've got to sell. But Joe, wow. What can I say? I, listen, I, I knew that. You'd be. 
pleased an amazing guest and i'm i'm so grateful that you you agreed to come on and this it, as it was it's been inspirational mind-blowing i'm so grateful for you being so open and, no and, honest with everything. and you, you've been brilliant and i think everyone's gonna there's so many key takeaways in there that i can't <laughs> wait to listen back to it and and take more notes and stuff because it was it was brilliant so listen joe miles thank you very much thank you, Sam. Brilliant. Thank you very much.